Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, yet again, this week we have another huge twofer for you. Two of the best bands of the 80s that have continued on beyond the 80s. They just got their start there. And two very distinct personalities, by the way. We're talking to Glenn Mercer of The Feelies, and then we're going to be hearing from Andy McCluskey of OMD. You couldn't have two different, two more different people. Um, I'll, get, I'll get into more about Andy later when we get there, but first up is Glenn. So, if there is an American version of post-punk, I feel like the Feelies are the poster child of what that would sound like. Heavily influenced by the Velvet Underground, they put out one of the greatest debut records in history in 1980 with Crazy Rhythms. And they've continued to record ever since, but not, not a ton. I think there's what, six or seven albums maybe in the last 45 years or so? In fact, last year, uh, one of their original members, Anton Fear, passed away, which is unfortunate, of course. So the band is a little bit in, in uh, flux. I don't know what they're gonna do. They don't know what they're gonna do. Glenn emailed me after this saying they're still kind of weighing their options. But they just released a live album that was recorded in 2018 in New Jersey called Some Kind of Love. And it's all Velvet Underground songs. That's why you're listening to Sunday Morning. This is the first track off that album. So Glenn didn't have a ton of time, unfortunately. I would have loved to talk to him more. But we get into kind of where this album came from, the Velvet Underground's influence on their sound. And then also, <laughs> they were really good friends with director Jonathan Demme. I don't know if you know this, they were they appeared in the, his movie Some, Something Wild. Uh, they're also on the soundtrack of Married to the Mob. And so we just get into kind of, you know, what that was like in the 80s. Some of his side projects and solo albums. Uh, I love this band. Glenn is a, he's a pretty reserved guy. I wouldn't say he's overly talkative. So we're luckily, lucky to get kind of what we did. But anyway, if nothing else, I hope that this turned you onto the feelies if you don't already know them. Start, I mean, every album is great. May as well start with Crazy Rhythms because it's amazing. And pick up some kind of love while you're at it if you love the Velvet Underground and who doesn't. Um, this I, I had to record this on my phone, by the way, so the record the sound isn't as good, but you'll you'll get it. You're fine. He called me from his home in New Jersey. Okay, so first and foremost, <laughs> here's what something I've always wondered: Do you and Jim DeRogatis exchange Christmas cards every year? No, no. You go I, I way really, back. I don't do the Christmas card thing. My wife sends some to uh, people, her family and stuff, but um, I've never really done that. Okay. I, I mean, I'm kind of kidding, but he he's such a prominent music critic, and I've been an, an, uh, an active, passionate listener of Sound Opinions for years, and he is constantly championing the feelies. And he grew, you guys, he grew up watching you guys. He talks about you all the time. And I've always wondered, do you two, like, know each other? Are you friendly? Do you oh, hang out to get a beer? Oh, we're good friends, yeah. We we didn't really hang out a lot. Uh, we're not from the same town or anything, but he lived near Hoboken, and we played there often. And, you know, he's a drummer. He played with Speed to Plow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a good good friend. Good. We've known each other since forever, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, I feel like people, I feel like, people like Jim, music critics, were sort of the catapult in a way or the to keeping the feelies 
spirit alive in the in the long stretches of downtime between albums for you guys. It's the critics who have always taken to you more, more so even some ways than the fans or because you're not going to hear a lot of feelings on the radio, you know? So you're relying on people smarter than you, like a music critic who knows things, to tell you how great the feelings are, and they've been doing it consistently for 40-plus years. Does that make sense? Uh, God bless them. <laughs> That's true. That's true. In general, I think the Internet um, really played a big role. Yeah. You yeah. know, even for the fan base to connect with each other. So, um, yeah. you know, when we did decide to come back out of retirement, we had a pretty strong fan base. So we were able to actually kind of uh, be inspired by what we were picking up from what we got on from the Internet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty, I guess, of the Internet. There's a lot of downsides, but the good side is that you can – find other people with you know who are like you with similar tastes and bond with them and the feelings i'm guessing are one of those topics that people like to get passionate about do you um have you been able to maintain a career just doing music all this time or do you do other things do you have other jobs uh i've been fortunate enough to pretty much uh, primarily just do the music that's great for a band like yours, an indie band who only have put out like six or seven albums, that's amazing. I mean, I know you've got a million side projects, but good for you. Uh, yeah, well, thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, have there ever been like lean times? Have you ever, has it been questionable? No, you know, each year is different. Uh, you know, we've had some licensing money that's been profitable and uh yeah you know royalties and publishing and stuff that's good. You know, I, I live a pretty simple life good good speaking of royalties i've always wondered what the story is did you know jonathan demi i'm guessing before he put you in his movies i mean you're in something wild you're in the sound the song is in married to the mob Were you guys yeah, friendly we beforehand? Met, we met uh, at the time his current movie was Melvin and Howard. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, he contacted us. He had been a fan of the band, was familiar with Crazy Rhythms, had seen us live. 
matter of fact, he saw us at the whiskey, so we assumed that he was, uh, you know, from California. But he, I think, was living in New York at that time and had seen right. us in, play in New York a lot. So he contacted us, uh, mentioned that he was a director who had a movie called Melvin and Howard, and he arranged for us to uh, go to see that. And then we, he also then, after that, arranged for a private screening of The Last Waltz, <laughs> kind of pitched the idea of doing a Feelys concert. So he thought some of the uh, things from that movie could maybe apply to a concert film of the Feelys. Wow. So it was just Bill and me and Jonathan in an empty theater watching The Last Waltz. So that was pretty oh. surreal. <laughs> and we kept in touch. He he kind of pitched the idea of the movie being uh, sort of a, a semi-comical uh, sci-fi horror called The Night of the Living Feelies, where... <laughs> This is pretty well, uh, we've talked about this a lot, so I'm surprised you haven't heard the story, but no. the idea would be that the, the town would be like zombies being like led to this kind of far-off music, and they would walk, they'd make their pilgrimage to the venue we were playing, and once they entered, they would become rejuvenated by no. the energy of the music, and they would come back alive. <laughs> I don't know how I missed that story. If I heard it, I've probably heard it and forgotten, but that's amazing. Yeah. But wow. Subsequently, couldn't uh, raise the funds to, uh, to to do the movie, but we kept in touch Yeah. over yeah. the years. And then when the uh, Something Wild thing ha came up, he uh, asked us to be a part of that. So what was the thinking? This is an obvious question. I apologize. What was the thinking of going in as the Willies and not the Feelies? Well, we actually shot it. The introduction was the feelies, and then when they were watching the dailies, someone, I'm not sure who, within the production uh, kind of mentioned, it might have been Jonathan, just realized, well, it wouldn't make sense, really, for the feelies to be playing uh. at this high school reunion. You know, it was a moment that kind of might possibly take you out of the... I see. Suspension of reality. And so they went back and redubbed. I don't know if it was just the, the word, the willies, or whether they reshot that whole thing. But they, okay. kind of dropped, they dropped it in later after it was filmed. Got it. So that wasn't the band's choice to be the willies. Well, he said, do you, do you, do you, we could come up with another name. Do you have any ideas? And we were also playing or had been playing as an offshoot band called the willies. Oh, I see. So it's pretty much the same members. We said, well, we, you could call it the Willies. Yeah. Okay. Like that. When you filmed those scenes, did he request a cover of Fame and I'm a Believer, or was that up to you? Were those songs that you were performing at the time? Well, he sent us a list of uh, the top songs of the year and top songs oh, for sure. that month. You know, kind of give an overview of what was popular at the time. Yeah. And uh, we couldn't find anything. You know, it was like when disco was kind of coming up. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
So I think one song we learned was Take It to the Limit by the Eagles. Ooh. <laughs> uh, another was the Rocky theme, which we kind of worked up an instrumental, uh-huh. kind of similar to uh, Samba Reptiles, because we kind of heard this weird uh, similarity in the melody. Yeah. So we kind of melded the two together. And we got to the set. A lot of things were kind of like thrown together at the last minute, really, because uh, I remember Jonathan saying, well, we can't get the rights to the Rocky theme, (laughs) so we'll have to come up with something else. And we said, oh, well, you know, let us at least play it. We're real proud of it. He's like, no, I don't want to hear it because I know I'll love it and I won't be able to use it. So he never even got to hear uh, this weird. Oh, shoot. Is that recorded anywhere? No. Oh, shoot. No. That would be great. I guess the till the last teardrop falls. We that was just picked at the last minute while we were down. We, we had to come up with the arrangement and learn that right on the set. Yeah, um, I'm a believer. I'm not really sure. He might have Jonathan might have asked what other covers we knew, okay. and we kind of I think had been doing that. Okay, so that became a contender, and uh, that's wild. That's great. I think he must have had the idea for Loveless Love because it's so it's so uh, melded into the true the uh, when the the whole feeling shifts. Yeah, agreed. When it I thought that too. When Ray shows up, so I think that kind of was ahead of time worked out. Yeah, but I wondered too. Stuff was just thrown together, really, it kind of on set. That's great. Did you when you when that movie came out? Did you have any? I don't know expectations or pipe dreams of what could happen to the to your profile as a band. Did you think, oh, this is a big break for us? We're going to get big after this. Well, actually, Jonathan really wasn't that big of a director at the time. Yeah, he wasn't. He had he hadn't done Silence of the Lambs. He hadn't done Philadelphia. Uh, you know, a lot of his more popular movies hadn't really been made yet either. Okay. I just think we were just—I think we were just kind of glad to to do it, and really okay. had really not much in terms of uh, what we expected of it. Okay. I'm just imagining a young band getting a chance to be featured in a Hollywood movie and thinking, "Wow, this is above and beyond our dreams. This is going to be amazing." You know? No, no, we're we're kind of the opposite. When we first met Jonathan. He had done a uh, teleplay of a Kurt Vonnegut uh, book or a short story uh-huh. novella uh, called Who Am I This Time? And that starred Christopher Walken and Susan Sarandon Ooh. for PBS. And he approached us, Bill and I, to do the soundtrack for that. And we tried to talk him out of it. Uh, we've never done anything like that. He actually, we met with him and he screened it for us and we liked it, but we weren't sure if we could do it. It wound up, uh, he, he got John Cale to do it. Oh. But uh, we were kind of the same way about something wild. We were like, uh, I don't know, you know, yeah. we're right for this. Because we kind of know knew that he had a certain kind of sense of humor and we thought we don't want to come off as the joke of this yeah. movie or whatever. Yeah. So right. we said, well, we, we actually have a gig coming up. We have a Young Woo show. we got to rehearse for that. We're trying to talk him out of it. He's trying to talk us into it. 
<laughs> he was like, well, you'll be able to rehearse. We have a day off. You'll be able to rehearse. So he arranged for us to uh, go on to the set. It was totally empty except for us. Wow. On the day off to rehearse. But, uh, yeah, we really weren't, uh, you know, clamoring. You have stars in your eyes. Yeah, okay. Um, what about, I didn't know until getting ready to talk to you, somehow I missed this, you guys did, you did the soundtrack to Smithereens? I saw yeah. that movie years ago. I barely well, remember so, it, but I remember liking it. Well, Susan Seidelman was friends with Jonathan Demme. He suggested oh, that makes sense. Yeah. to her, and the funny thing is, while we were working on that, John Cale was calling because he was, she was considering him for the soundtrack. So even though Kale got John Kale got Who Am I This Time, because uh-huh. they were right around the same time, we got uh-huh. the uh, Smithereens. Yeah. Boy, you guys just can't escape the Velvet Underground, uh, you know? I mean, <laughs> they factor into so many different things in your career. Yes, in a way, yeah. Yeah. Well, so speaking of Velvet Underground, let's talk about some kind of love for a minute. Was this... This, as far as I understand, was recorded October 13th, 2018. Um, was it always intended to be an, be released as an album? No. Um, it was just intended really as a tribute to tie in with, um, I don't know if you remember, they had an exhibit that originated in Paris and then came to New York, uh, of a big Velvet Underground exhibit. Yeah. I do remember those. So when they were putting that together, the idea was, I guess the location had a performance space. So they thought, well, let's utilize the space and invite bands that we know were influenced by the Velvet Underground, and they can perform. So they approached us as one of the bands. Okay. We thought it was a great idea. We thought, well, let's take it one step further and perform the Velvet Underground songs because we knew... We knew a handful. We had done them over the years. Yeah. But something happened. They lost, I guess it was delayed. And by the time they were ready to move the show to stage in New York, they had lost the lease. Oh. So they had to move to venue. The new venue didn't have enough room to uh, incorporate a performance. They had a small little area. It was pretty much just a little empty, I think, in the basement Um so I actually wound up doing something at the exhibit with Dave from the Feelies and Richard Barone, just a trio kind of yeah. semi-acoustic. But to get back to the uh, Feelies, um, we decided, well, we put a lot of time into learning these songs in preparation for the exhibit. Let's just do them anyway. It will tie it into the exhibit. It will promote the exhibit. Um, and we'll do it, you know, just as a tribute and a tie-in to sure. the uh, the whole thing. So it's yeah. kind of connected, but not totally connected. Got it. Okay. Not as connected as it we originally intended, but right. So what's the who decided to release it as an album? Well, I guess our record company wanted to record it. Really, he said, said, you know, you don't have to put it out just for our own. Uh, you know, they, th- they thought it was important enough to sure. document it, really. Yeah. So we, we kind of just 
listened to it and really didn't intend to put it out. But then, I guess, uh, Someone right around the enough. time of the COVID, we really weren't right. doing anything else anyway. And it just yeah. seemed like, I'm not really, timing-wise, I'm not really sure why it took so long and why we decided to do it. I guess it was kind of, you know, the record company. Uh, yeah. They didn't, like, push us into it, but they just thought it was good, thought the fans would really like it. Yeah, it's great. I um, I, I mean, obviously, the Feely sound, well, your sound in general, all your side projects and everything are often tied back to um, an obvious influence with the Velvet Underground. So it makes sense that you guys would put out this album, and you, I'm just guessing you have to have known those songs like the back of your hand, I'm guessing, or no? Uh, no, no, absolutely really? not. We had to learn them. That, that was part of the appeal for us, was, uh, you know, to work on new stuff. Uh, just, you know, the challenge of it. Sure. We, we could have just done one set, or a ser- like an encore or an extended. We really kind of, I think only had done maybe a handful maybe even less uh, okay. prior to that live. So, I mean, I knew probably all the songs, but hadn't really uh, yeah. done them. We hadn't done them as the feelings. Okay. The huh. I'm imagining you just having, you know, poured over VU albums your whole life. And So tell me, I, I love your guys' version of All Tomorrow's Parties on there. I love that. have a favorite song to play is there a song on the album that was particularly hard to learn or fun to play or difficult to play or what waiting for the man i just love that uh, the first time i heard it um, sure. that's fun sweet yeah. jane yeah kind of, I, i've been playing that one since i first learned guitar it was one of the first songs i learned on guitar so yeah yeah uh, Okay. Yeah, the big ones. They're, it's so good, Glenn. I really like it. Um, I was curious. I mentioned a second ago your sort of your side projects. I like to, since I don't get to talk to, you know, I, I, I have the great Glenn Mercer on the phone here. I, want, I like to ask about some of the stories behind my favorite songs that you've put out in the world. And one, I've got a couple on here that I want to ask you about. The Tripes had that, had that EP, and 
I've always really liked the song The Undertow. And I'm curious what you remember. What's the story of The Undertow? Uh, well, that was... I wrote it at a Tribes rehearsal. Well, I came up with the, you know, the chords. I guess at the time, the Tribes were the lineup that really would change instruments a lot. So normally oh. I play drums. But I was playing, I think it was kind of a break... Because that's the way we we played in that band. We'd switch instruments, we'd take breaks. It was kind of a social thing, very low key. Okay. Sometimes two people would be playing, sometimes three, sometimes everybody. Sometimes yeah. we'd rehearse, sometimes we'd jam. So it kind of came out of that. And the singer sang something entirely different. And then uh, I kind of like changed the melody and even moved where it was, you know, I basically just kind of took it from, it actually was a, another song. I don't want to say which one because, mm. but it started as a cover song and then just kind of almost by yeah. sheer will and uh -huh. you know, a lot of hard work and the arrangement, it became something original. Got it. But, uh, okay. It's like a lot of times that's how you write. You'll be playing someone else's song, and then uh -huh. something will lead you to another chord progression. Or, you know, I think Keith Richards said like you play someone else's song, and then there's something hanging on at the end. If you wait long enough to get there, that'll tumble out or something. That kind That'll of, do it. Sense, a sense where. Uh, kind of an unconscious thing. Yeah. It's like the way, way I always write. It's just... Uh, Feel. Well, you can tell. I mean, yeah. first of all, <laughs> I just realized that's also in the name of your band. But it, uh, you can tell that the feelies, and you in particular, base a lot of what you do on feel. There's a sort of tribal, you know, sensory... It's, like a, it's almost like a meditation a lot of the time, you know? Well, it, 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 everything really does start with the, the rhythm. Yeah. For me, for me I think. Uh, and that could change, but it, it kind of, once you tap into that rhythm, it kind of leads you somewhere. Got it. Yeah. It's almost like you're on a ride, you know? Yeah. Well, and you guys are the best at that. I've always wondered, what was the, why was there such a gap after um, Crazy Rhythms? Were you, were you guys just not 
sure of yourselves? Were you, I feel like in some ways the feelies want to do the least amount of work possible to be rock stars, to sustain life or career as rock stars. You'd rather just do anything else, you know, your own thing. What is it? Why was it six years between the first and second album? Um, well, we, we went through a lot. Um, you know, we changed the lineup of the band. Yeah. But that happens to other bands too. And they, you know, they hurry. Maybe, maybe it was that no label would breathing down your neck demanding an album. I don't know. Well, I was going to say, yeah, maybe the better question would be why we're, why did we put a few albums out so close together? I think yeah. we just operate that way. We're just, it's not like we're, we try to avoid anything. It's just that we work intuitively. We're much yeah. more reactive than proactive. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Um, we have some Patreon supporters, and I always let them know who I'm interviewing, and they can submit questions if they want to. And one of them, Kevin Wench, had a question that I was curious about, too, and he wants to know why the A&M albums are not streaming. Do you know? Yeah, I do know. That's because of uh, A&M are uh, owned, or they became part of the universal music. Yeah. And I guess there's a a uh cross the board uh ban on streaming for Universal Ooh. or they I'm not sure but they they Universal won't allow it. That's too bad. When you signed to a major label, did you feel pressure to change your sound at all or become more commercial or did you did you kind of feel like maybe we can be like REM and, and fame will come to us. We won't have to change what we're doing to go to it. Uh, well, not exactly like either, but definitely more of the latter that, okay. uh, you know, we saw a lot of the bands who were uh, putting out indie records, doing well, uh, you know, playing the same venues, the same kind of circuit. Yeah. Basically, what they called back then college rock, I guess. Sure. Mm -hmm. Before it was alternative. You know, that's really probably why we got the deal and why all of our contemporaries were getting major label deals. Yeah. That yeah. They, uh, the major labels just saw, oh, there's money here, you know. Right. I um, I love the Only Life album, and one another one of my favorite Feely songs is Deep Fascination.
is there a story behind Deep Fascination? Well, there's never really a story. I mean, it's uh, you start with, like I said, the kind of the rhythm, and then the chords, and then the melody, uh-huh. and then the words. The words are sort of last. Okay. So it's not like, oh, this happened. I want to write about it. I've never yeah. approached it that way. Yeah. You know, I kind of okay. know what inspired the lyrics, but it's sort of personal, I guess. Oh, okay, okay. Well, yeah, by all means, don't you don't have to say that. I just wondered if there were stories. I I'm, can tell now um, that, like you were saying earlier, a lot. So many of these songs sound like they they start with a jam or with a a rhythm, something a pocket that feels good to everybody. And before you know it, a song emerges, you know, it's not, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not like I'm guessing Glenn Mercer is not sitting at home, like writing lyrics. Oh, I I just need to find the right melody for this great line. I just came up with. It's more like, let's get in a room together and see what we create. Uh, no, I, I write alone. Definitely don't write with anybody there, but, uh, it's sort of like there are moments when you're with, paper and pencil and are working it out, but that's sort of maybe the last. And that doesn't often happen. Happen. Uh, well, you know, I think it's pretty similar to the way when I do hear other songwriters talk about the way they write, I think it's pretty common that once you have a melody, certain vowels, sounds will come out yeah. and they'll suggest words. And a lot of times words will come out and you'll think, well, that's obviously not what I'm going to go with. That's I'll just p- put that there to remind me of the vowel sound that fits uh-huh. with the melody, or it'll just remind me of the melody. But then it's like after a while, it's like you can't take that out for some reason. Mm. It, it just becomes like that thought, that first yeah. thought is like, so I, I remember, I remember basically for the only life record thinking a lot of times like, well, these are way too simple. I'm going to come back and work on huh. the lyric, but it just was, I couldn't. Yeah. And then I thought, well, you know, I thought, well, let's do this first record. No fun. My babe, no fun. It's like <laughs> sometimes minimal, simple is the best, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it just true. came to the point where like, you know, I don't want to work on this stuff. It's really all about, you know, that first inspiration is always the most pure thing. So sure. Okay. Um, what about your solo stuff that you do on? Your, do you do you come by songwriting in a similar way? For instance, I really love the song "Real Devotion."
what how is your process the same it's just with different people on a solo album yeah, the process has really always been the same. It, well, there are a few exceptions, okay. like the song "In Between" on the, our Philly's last record. That actually started as a concept. I thought, well, it'd be really nice to have one of my favorite things in composing music, or even when I listen to other writers, is that they call it pedal point, where you have one note staying the same while the chords around it are, are changing. Like Pete Townsend was a master of that, the Tommy album. It's just filled with that. So I thought it'd be nice to write something like that, and I thought, well, a lot of also like on Crazy Rhythms, there are kind of moments or even a song where it's just one chord for like a really long period of time. Yeah. And yeah. things coming and going within that. So that, I actually kind of started that way with the concept I'll have one chord or one note and then have chords that revolve around that, things coming in and coming out. And then. Actually, the first version of that was the electric one. Mm. When I was doing a rough mix, often I'll take everything out except for the vocal, kind of start from there and then build a mix around that. But on that particular demo, I was playing a lot of times when I'm doing vocals on the demo, I'll play acoustic guitar because I just it helps me get into the emotion of the song more. Right. So when I took that rough mix, I took everything out except the vocal, and I heard a faint hint of the acoustic that I was playing. I thought, oh, this sounds totally different with just the acoustic uh, vocal. I thought this could actually work as an acoustic song as well. Yeah. So it wasn't, even though the acoustic one's first on the record, that arrangement came after the electric one. Got it. Oh, fascinating. Okay, I've always wondered. Wait, how did how do you guys decide when you're going to get back together? I mean, there's only so many albums after 43 years or whatever, and the last few are just as good as the first few, but they're years apart. It, it's really hard to say. Really? It's just a feel? Like, I've got some songs. Do you guys want to get together? Or what motivates it? What prompts it? Well... When we decided to get back together prior to here before, 
we kind of talked about it. Well, as long as we're going to get together and play some shows, we'd probably be a good idea to make another record. And then that one did well. Yeah. It just seemed like, I don't know. It's like you just wait for... So you feel uh, inspired, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Um, okay, what I, I mentioned REM earlier. How did you get Peter Buck to produce The Good Earth? Well, he was friends with Steve Fallon, who ran Coyote Records. Okay. Uh, he ran Maxwell's. He actually managed the Feelies, and he was the... Uh, person responsible for us getting involved with A&M because the Coyote Records went with A&M. So we were actually still on Coyote, but A&M were our like, parent company. Uh-huh. So Steve knew the guys in R.E.M., I guess just from them playing at the club. And he had a party, and I went to the party, and Peter was there. And I left the party. I, I kind of wanted to meet him, but... He was kind of busy all night, but mm-hmm. when I left, he actually came at, out and and came out to talk to me. I said, "Oh yeah, I wanted to meet you. I love crazy rhythms, and yeah. if you guys ever do, uh, Steve tells me you work on stuff, and if you ever do another record or you're ready to do another record, I'd like to help out any way I could." Wow. So. Um, you know, we're, we we kind of want to self-produce, but also it's always a good idea to have somebody extra person to kind of yeah. bounce ideas off of or when you're putting the basic tracks down to have a set of ears in the control room to kind of see uh, what's going to tape. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're coming up on time. What's next? I mean, the last Feelys album was six years ago. This Velvet Underground concert was recorded five years ago. That's a big gap. Is there more coming from you and whether it's Feelys or Solo or something else? You know, it's hard to say. We have some songs. We're kind of going slow. Um, okay. To be honest, I didn't... The COVID really took a big... Uh, oh. Took the wind out of me. I, I didn't do any writing during that period. And uh, just kind of... I, I'm dealing with some issues that kind of impact. Oh, man. Uh you know, hearing issues, uh, oh, a little bit of arthritis. Right. It's not preventing me from uh, from working and playing music, but it kind of slows me down a little bit. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. But, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to be like, you know, I, I'm lucky to still be playing, so I feel sure. very blessed about it. I'm not complaining in any sense. No, I get it. I get it. Um, last question. What's your favorite memory of your career? You've been doing this for 45 years. Did you meet a hero or play a great show? Or what's when you think back to your career and you just say, I can't believe what's happened to me. What's top of the list? There's a few things. I guess playing with Lou Reed was pretty cool. I wondered. Yeah. Playing at Carnegie Hall was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, doing the movie was pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Doing the Letterman show is pretty cool. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I remember that. Well, Glenn, I uh, I love so much of what you put in the world. Thanks for being you. Thanks for sticking to your vision. I mean, 
there are a few artists who have stayed so close to what they have in mind, what they think is good music for all this time, because your taste is similar to my taste, and I love everything you've ever put out there. Wow. Thanks so much. Thank you, Glenn. All right, there you have it. Glenn Mercer of the Feelies. I'm hoping to get some copies of Some Kind of Love to get a, give away to Patreon supporters. I'm waiting to find out. Now, speaking of giving copies away, we're going to be hearing right now from Andy McCluskey of OMD. Andy is, if you've never heard him interviewed before, I'd be surprised, but he is one of the greatest interviews ever. He is the most charming guy in pop music. So full of life and effervescence. So funny and happy and talkative. He's the best. So you guys may remember last year, Paul Humphreys, the other half of OMD, was on the show. And we covered kind of more of the history, the tour that they were on. So Andy, who also only had a little bit of time, he and I focused more on this sort of second chapter of their career. The two came back together in 2010. And as diehard fans know, the four albums they've released since then have been amazing. And they just put out a brand new one called Bauhaus Staircase that is just in keeping with what you want from OMD. As I mentioned, I'm hoping to get copies of this as well to give away to Patreon supporters, so I'll let you know when I find out. Anyway, uh, Andy sort of uh, dives into sort of their philosophy of songwriting. You know, what? Uh, some of their songs are just so out there. I mean, if you've listened to Dazzle Ships, you know how sort of experimental they can be. Well, the great thing about this new music they've been putting out is that it's a little bit of both. In fact, you're hearing right now Slow Train, which is one of the singles off of Bauhaus Staircase. So we kind of get into how he mixes and matches, you know, the, the music concrete with the pop. And that's what makes OMD so special. Um, and then the plans for touring and all that kind of stuff. And I ask him about some of my favorite songs from along the way. But I, I try to go deeper tracks just because He's talked about the greatest hits in the 80s and stuff a lot. So I figured let's talk about the other stuff. Anyway, Andy's the best. I don't remember where he's calling me from. Probably London or maybe Liverpool because that's where they're from. Anyway, you'll love this. Hey, John, how are you, sir? Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing well. I seem to have fallen victim to um, having made a very well-received album. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, damn you. Why did you go and do that? You just made life harder for yourself. You know, you know it. I mean, it's been six years since the last studio album, and I'd forgotten how busy it gets when everybody <laughs> wants to talk to you. But it's a good sign. It's a good yes. sign because people actually want to talk to us. I, I think a lot of people will be going, eh, I don't like the album really. I don't know what I want to say to them. I'll no, give up on no, this. No, no. <laughs> No, no, there's no chance of that. This is uh, among your best work. So let me ask you this. Something I'm curious about. It is very, is very clear for any hardcore OMD fan like me that you guys have, the last four albums have been exactly the kind of things that fans want from you. And I wonder what you understand about being OMD now that you had maybe lost sight of in there for a while in the mid to late 80s into the 90s does that okay. make sense yeah that that opens up kind of two lines of answer really um okay firstly let's let's touch on the on the on the second part of what you said yeah there was a time in the mid to late 80s when quite frankly we were so busy chasing around touring all the time that we 
we lost control of what we were doing. We didn't have enough time to write quality songs. You need time. You know, not everything you do is gold. You have to be able to throw things away and do something again to 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 find a better. So, so yeah, the, there was there was a time there when we we found ourselves touring around and around the world. Come home after six or seven months, and because of the record deal we signed in 1979 when we were 19, that was frankly just this side of criminal. Mm-hmm. We had very little money. Um, yeah. So for all the millions of records we sold, we were permanently poor. And I remember I remember when we came home from the 101 tour with Depeche Mode when they'd been making enough to retire on and, and it, we, we'd lost money on every date of the oh. tour to try and go out there and break the states. Oh. Our manager said, you owe Virgin Records a million pounds. And we were like... Hang on, no, we've sold millions of records. And he went, yeah, but, you know, you, you've been spending money traveling America, touring America, doing this. You know, the videos are taken out of your money. The recording costs are taken out of your money. And um, because the difference between us and Depeche was that they were on a 50-50 deal. Mm. Mm. After after the costs, they shared 50-50 with Mute. So they made a fortune. Um, I mean, we weren't in it for the money, but you need money sure. to run a business. And so, you know, and, and believe me, it wasn't it wasn't because we'd been buying castles and yachts that we owed the record company a million pounds. <laughs> so so we we were under a lot of pressure. So there was a couple of times there when we bent, went into the studio, and quite frankly, the first 10 things we did were the album. Good, bad, or ugly. And I regret that. I really regret mm. that now. So when we reformed, the first thing we said was, we're going to treat this like we were kids again. We're going to do what we want for ourselves. We're going to go back to having a conversation with ourselves. Because now that can be a recipe for complete self-indulgence. Mm-hmm. But if you trust yourself and you believe in your editorial skills and give yourself enough time, Whenever we've done stuff that was just us talking to ourselves, pulling out the best ideas we can and sculpting them with time into something we really believed in, we've always done the stuff that's been received best by the people who are listening to it. So it was it was a simple uh, lesson we learned, and we just said we're not releasing anything unless we think it's absolutely the very best that we can have done, and that's the bottom line. That makes sense. It feels as if the, I mean, Dazzle Ships is you guys going perhaps a little too far in one direction, you know, commercially anyway. Fans love it, obviously. And then junk culture they feels do like. now. Yes, yes. <laughs> At the time, not so much, right? And then no, junk, no, no. I mean, we, you guys are known for being Stockhausen and ABBA. One is very Stockhausen, and then junk culture is more ABBA. And now you've managed to merge the two in a way that makes sense for you and for all the fans that you weren't quite getting there on before. And so when you write songs together now, are you conscious of that? Are you conscious of, we have a responsibility to merging these two things or that just what comes naturally? How do you even know that you're doing it right? Mm-hmm. It's totally what comes naturally. You know, okay. our raison d'etre from day one was to do things that we thought were interesting. Do mm. not repeat formulas. Do not. That, that's why we wanted to play synthesizer music. We didn't want to do the kind of Anglo-American rock cliches that we mm-hmm. we, we were seeing all around us in the in the in the seventies. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to just you know. First of all, the idea was it wasn't a business. It wasn't a band. We yeah. weren't going anywhere. It was a hobby that just. Yeah. 
exploded. Um, and so for the first few albums, we, we were just doing what we wanted, you know, made of Orleon, you know, six, eight waltz with something that sounds like a cat playing bagpipes and 30 seconds of distortion to intro it sell several million copies how do yeah. we do that you know, know we were just doing something that we were i think we we are experimenters but we have fortunately unconsciously we seem to have a natural ability to write tunes yes because the one thing i will say is we like musical experiments that challenge you and you go oh that's new that's different that's yeah. interesting wow but you know you can experiment and make something that sounds unlistenable you know mm -hmm. I, I can say yeah i want four hours of hammering and a jackhammer and an elephant farting and a screaming baby yeah have you heard that before well no do you want to hear it again <laughs> fuck no <laughs> like, yeah. you know there's experimenting and there's experiments yes. we like musical experiments okay so let me i i'm so glad you said this because in the title track bauhaus staircase you give a shout out to Per ubu's modern dance album Thompson was or David Thomas was on here earlier this year. I I mean, as much as I admire him so much, that music can be so challenging to get through. And you give it a shout out several times. Does that album mean something to you? Is that still music oh, yeah. to you? Tell me about it. Perubu were one of our favorite live bands to go and see at Eric's Club in Liverpool. We I saw bet. them every time they came there. We loved them. Yeah. It was bonkers, and that's what we liked about it. Mm -hmm. I listened recently, because I, I put it in the song, I listened to the album recently. Now, the title track, Modern Dance, has actually got a tune. <laughs> you know, you can yeah, sing along yeah, with that's it. That's true. That's true. But so, so, some of their stuff is willfully obtuse. You know, it's just like, yeah. oh, okay, we, we're going to start something that sounds really great, and then we're going to stop and do something else. And then we go back. And we, uh, no. I mean, yes. it's they, they, are, they are quite willful, quite uh -huh. charmingly, you know, determined to not follow yeah. the rules, which is why I love them. Yes. Um, the crazy thing is, of course, is, is actually that that came to me. I was not intending to write that lyric. Huh. I just, I happened to write, you know, every every line in the song starts with something about a Bauhaus staircase. So mm -hmm. Everyone needs a Bauhaus staircase. Mm -hmm. And then I just went, everyone gets a second chance. Okay. And I'm writing about, everyone needs art and passion. What the hell rhymes with chant? Perubu and the modern dance. Oh, yes, <laughs> I'll have that. So it was just a rhyme. It came out of my head because it was there from yeah. 45 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh man, yeah, I couldn't. I mean, in but spirit, I love that band. We used to see I them, and we loved see them. That. We I can see that. Them. The spirit of where you guys are coming from is very similar, and it makes sense to me that you would love them so much. Okay, I've got to ask you another thing. When you write a song called Anthropocene. Already, do you use that in conversation with other people, or do you find the word in some weird dictionary? So I had to look up that and like isotype and all these strange klepto klepto kleptocracy, whatever kleptocracy. Yes, I'm, I have to look these up and think: Are these real words or are these made up OMD words? They're real. Every day's a school day with your uncle Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I'm a pretentious twat and I use these words. Um, let's start. Right, first okay. of all, Anthropocene is the current geological epoch. At least Homo sapiens have the hubris to have now decided we're creating our own geological <laughs> epoch. Um, now, I think the chances are probably that we are. Um, and it's kind of, this song is also twinned with Evolution of Species, which is another song. Yes. Generation. Generation. Mutation. 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 evolutionary theory um and if evolution teaches you anything it's that species never stay around for very long mm. a few million years maximum and then they either mutate into a different species or they die out mm. and 
the chances are that Homo sapiens have been here for about 300,000 max mm-hmm. when we, we, we changed into Homo sapiens from something else. I've always been fascinated with the line of human evolution. I wanted to be a paleoanthropologist when I was younger. You can look that word up as well. Wow, I will. Um, <laughs> um, I was just fascinated with, you know, um, you know, Homo erectus and Neanderthals and 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 all all of how we became human. So we will die out. You know, uh, you know. Spoiler alert: the last line in the song Anthropocene is one million years from now, global human population will be. Zero. That's right. Now we might mutate into something else. Mm-hmm. We'll see. You and I won't be here anyway. It doesn't no. matter to us. No. Um, and in another 10, 20, 30, 40 million years, if there, if whatever's left behind mutates into another sentient being and is aware of itself and has, has an intelligence they will look at the geological strata and they probably won't use the word Anthropocene unless we've written it down somewhere and they can be seen. But it would be, that's the Anthropocene layer. That's where the Homo mm. sapiens were. Um, because you can tell, look, there's the carbon and the lead and the plastic and the nuclear and the concrete and you know all mm-hmm. the things that we will leave behind. And there's a line in the song that says, just another KT line. The KT line is the Cretaceous tertiary line. 66 million years ago, it's where the dinosaurs died out. We're okay. just another KT line. Okay. So I'm sorry. I am that pretentious. That's wow. what I, <laughs> I take back everything I said about pop songs and stuff like that. Never mind. <laughs> um, now, this album is uh, more political than you guys tend to get. Kleptocracy. As you know, we're kind of dealing with some shit happen for a while mm-hmm. in the U.S., and it's oh, uh, yeah. heartbreakingly frustrating every day. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the, what inspired you to write that song in particular. I was angry. Yeah. Um, we, I believe in democracy. Mm-hmm. I believe in democracy. I think it's the best way to try to operate to balance everybody's different feelings, everybody's understanding. And you can vote and change. And if somebody goes too far down, you know, you can vote them out of office and change. I think it's the best policy. It's far from ideal, but it's, however, the word kleptocracy 
means rule by thieves, klepto, mm -hmm. you know. So I believe that a lot of modern democracies have been hijacked by complete lying narcissists who are like snake oil salesmen who have sold people down the river who stupidly believe them. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm shouting it out in the song. Um, mm. I didn't name them, but I don't have to name them. It's obvious. You know, um, it's unbelievably frustrating that they have managed to kid people into voting for them because they have no interest in the common good. They are complete narcissists, mm -hmm. you know. As a musician and as somebody who lives in England, we are suffering from Boris Johnson's Brexit deal mm -hmm. because he didn't believe in Brexit. He was a political opportunist who was trying to angle to become leader of the Conservative Party when Cameron stood down. And he knew that most Conservatives are Eurosceptics. So he thought, right, I don't believe in leaving the European Union, but if I if I run the campaign for us to leave, yeah. it, won't, it won't happen, but all the Tories will vote for me when I go for the leadership election. And then he woke up the next day on June the 24th and went, oh, shit, we've left. What have mm -hmm. I done? Mm -hmm. And we, we're still suffering the consequences, particularly yeah. musicians, because we've got this problem of getting backwards and forwards into Europe to, to ply our here. trade. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, Make America Great Again. Trump did fuck all yes. for the for, for for the Rust Belt. He appealed to them, but it's like, what? Oh, what's Donald? What's Donald's going to do? Is he going to open up the coal mine? Do you want to go back down the mine and get emphysema? Do you want to work in some factory where you get minimum wage? Well, you can't work in a factory because all of the American manufacturers now are using Japanese parts, or they're manufacturing right. in China, or so. You know, it's just, it's just, it's a lie. Yeah. And, I mean, the scary thing is that Trump just won't go away. And then there's Putin. No. I mean, it it started out with, I mean, every line ends in ected. Mm. And, and one of my favorites is, um, so the Kremlin and the KGB under golden bed disinfected got the gossip on the GOP and the candidate they selected. Right. You know who I'm talking about. I yes. don't have to name him. And, 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 you know, why, why would he buddy up to Putin? Because they've got the gossip on him. And also they've been lending him money. And yeah. they wanted him to be president of the USA precisely to destabilize the Western democracies. He's, he's been a complete, you know, mm -hmm. being a narcissist, he's been, he's been a tool for the Russians to destabilize Western democracy. So, so I've true. been really I've been really angry. You know, Saudi money over Central Park, Khashoggi's body got dissected. You know, yeah. everybody was up in arms. I can't believe this is happening. You know, this is terrible. This is a shocking, shocking six months later. Anyway, Saudi Arabia, how many jets would you like to buy this year? <laughs> so true. How many how many it's bombs? So how many arms? How many guns do you want? Yeah, we we, we still love your money. We we've forgotten Khashoggi now. You know what on the wrist. It's it makes me puke. Me too. Me too. I live with, I live in rage 24 seven now, yeah. pretty much, you know, it's so frustrating. Um, we have some, uh, uh, Patreon supporters. And when I tell them who I'm going to interview, they can submit questions that they want. Okay. One, one of them, Jake Rude is a prominent DJ over here. And, uh, he wanted to know what your workout regimen is. You are, as you know, are one of the most, uh, active, 
and provocative frontmen out there have been forever with your dance moves. Mm-hmm. How do you do you stay in shape in the off season? What, how, how do you perfect this? I, I must admit to being, I need a tour to give me the willpower to get fit <laughs> because I know, I know nothing can prepare my body for what I do to it on stage. Yeah. Um, those who've seen us, you know, know my, my idiosyncratic dancing style. Um, I can't change it now. It's just the way I move. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as Paul likes to say, I've spent 45 years overcompensating for his static performance. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he's great um, though too when he comes out and does forever live and die and stuff. Yeah, but, but, but um, yeah, my my big problem is I have no cartilage in my left knee, and I'm fighting off the surgeon who wants really? to remove my knee. So um, I can't I can't even walk very far now. It hurts. I certainly mm-hmm. can't go jogging. So my 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 choice of of exercise is cycling because mm-hmm. I'm not putting all the pressure through it. I cycle mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a route that goes around my house. Um, I got two routes. I do, let's see, one, one's 16 miles and one's 21 miles. They're not massive, but you know, they keep yeah. me fit. Sure. Um, and you do Peloton? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. No, it's too, it's too boring. Just go out on your bike and see the yeah. world, you know? Yeah. Um, I also, um, I do a lot of twisting exercises in the gym. I have to do a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, um, but yeah, it, it I, I, that's that's how I that's how I do it. And before I go on tour, um, because I, I would be crippled if mm-hmm. I didn't. For the last ten years, my rock and roll drug of choice before every tour is a cortisone injection in my knee. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do I, it. <laughs> it's not. It, you know, it's not helping. It's just masking the pain. Uh-huh. <laughs> Okay, speaking of workouts, I have a nerdy, deep, nerdy personal question for you. We're talking about songs of yours and what sparked them. Uh, believe it or not, one of my favorite OMD tracks is Christine off of the Liberator oh, yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. on my running playlist because something oh. about it fits my whatever, my, my feed or whatever. Tell me about the creation of Christine, because that one, for whatever reason, speaks to me. Yeah, I. Um, that was when Paul wasn't in the band. That was the nineties when it was it was just myself. And well, actually, I was writing with um, Stuart Kershaw, who's now the drummer in the band, the live band. Mm, okay. Um, I 
all of my songs start with the music first. I may have a, a notebook where I'm making notes of things I want to write songs about and doing research. I'm a geek. I research my songs. Uh-huh. Um, I, I make notes, but I will not will not write lyrics until I suddenly go, this music I could fit these ideas to, and then I start trying to fit together all of my notes to make the lyrics. Uh-huh. I had the groove to Christine and it sounded kind of sultry and a bit kind of like maybe on a hot night, something. I just, I just suddenly found myself thinking, and I don't know why walking around New York or sort of along the waterfront in New York. And, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in a very, very quiet suburb of Liverpool. Suddenly I was traveling around the world and I I would go to 42nd street in New York. It's like, I can go in and see naked women, real naked women for, you know, for a couple of quarters. It was like, and it was like peep shows and, and then, uh-huh. and then real people having sex. I could watch for a couple of dollars. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was just like, Whoa. Right. And then right. of course, you know, you, you read about the sex industry and how exploitative it is and how a lot of these people, you know, particularly women that they end up in it often because they're they're either being pimped into it or they've got a drug problem or they're just desperate. There's no other way to women. And so I just, for some reason, I don't know why I just kind of started imagining this woman in New York going home after working as a prostitute or in a peep show. Mm, mm. And, you know, she's had to pay the, the place, like half of the money she's earned. It's been, not a good, you know, not not a good thing to have to do for a job. Mm-hmm. She's left her kids with a babysitter or a mother or something, and on the way home, she just goes, "I hate my life. Mm-hmm. I don't want this anymore." And she just walks down the steps into the river, and finally, she can't hear the traffic anymore. She can't hear anything. She's just yeah. floating and gone. That that, and I don't I don't know how the idea came to me. It just did. I wonder why that feels like the right song for me to run to, but it does for some reason. I think that says more better. about you than me. It probably does. It probably does. <laughs> I'm not a big lyric person, but there's something about the groove of that song. Fascinating. Yeah, no, I've always wanted to ask you. Okay. We have another one. Um, Matthew Quinlan went to a poetry performance recently of, of John Cooper Clark, oh, and wow. he wants to know your name. OMD came up briefly when talking about Tony Wilson and the factory. So Matthew wants to know if you have any memories at all or what ones stand out from that period. Um, Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to to be honest, a lot. Um, Okay. Great story. Story Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. We got together to do one gig. That's why we called ourselves the customers in the dark. The guys at Eric's club in Liverpool said, Hey, we liked you. Really? Okay. Um, You want to do another gig? We've got these friends in Manchester who have a club called The Factory. Want to go? So we went there. We met Tony Wilson off the telly. He was a newsreader on the local evening news. And we knew we knew he had bands on some, so we gave him a cassette. Now, we had heard this story down the years, and we thought it was apocryphal. Finally, four years ago, we got to meet his wife, Lindsay Reed, and she said, yes, the story is true. I got in the car in... January 79 or whatever it was. It was probably no, it was late 78. And there was a shopping bag, plastic shopping bag full of cassettes in the footwell of the passenger. And she said, Tony love, what, what, what's with the cassettes? He went, they're the rejects. They're all just people who want to get on the TV or the new label. We didn't even know he had a label. We were just trying to blag our way onto the TV. Mm-hmm. And she put her hand in the reject bag and she pulled out a cassette. She went, orchestral maneuvers in the dark. That's a weird name. 
And he went, oh, yeah, no, no, no. They played the club the other week, love. Hairy guys from bloody Liverpool <laughs> banging on about electricity shit. Didn't like it at all. Not real. Not punk, not real, uh-huh. nothing. Uh-huh. And she put it on. She went, and it was electricity. And she just went, love, that's a hit. And he went, no, no, seriously, love. They're shit. I hated them. I hated them. And she played it and she went, that is a hit. Sign uh-huh. them. And so apparently he patronizingly tapped her on the thigh and went, all right, love, I'll sign them just for you. Now, the original idea of Factory was they developed local artists, got them a profile, and then sold them. And we were the only one they ever did it with. All the rest stayed on. But basically, being pulled out of the rubbish bag on the way to the dump is how you get a record deal. (laughs) The next time we meet Tony Wilson, a week after this thing happens in the car, uh-huh. He's changed his mind, and um, which is Tony. Tony was very good at changing his mind and being very believable. He comes and says, "Guys, guys, guys, so great! Listen, love, love your song, Electricity. You guys are the future of pop." And we're like, "Fuck off! We're experimental. Don't call us pop." Uh-huh. And he went, "No, no, you're the. F- we're too small. We can't get you on top of the. You should be on top of the pops." So we're like, "Seriously?" He's uh-huh. like, "Yeah, you're the future of pop. We're going to release a record, and it'll act as a demo, and we'll get you a deal." So. Suddenly, in a week, we'd gone from a couple of hairy guys from Liverpool wittering on about electricity to you're the future of pop. That's how we got on Factory Records. That is crazy. (laughs) I love that. I uh, going back to thinking about your greatest hits album. That I I think of that best of as almost like the Frampton comes alive of synth pop in a way, because the timing of it was so perfect. As you know, in America, you if you leave was kind of and. Secrets and So In Love are sort of the first introduction that most of us had to you at the time. Mm-hmm. And that perfectly timed best of coming out when you're at your hottest and having this whole history of songs that we probably it didn't know. dragged all the catalog it, up with it, didn't yes, it? Yes, it did. Yes. And I wonder well, we if couldn't that get, was John, we couldn't, okay. we couldn't get arrested in the States. Yeah. You know, we were on Virgin. Nobody wanted the Virgin artists. We were sold in a grab bag, triple lot. Virgin sold us uh, with Japan and XTC. Here, you have to have those that. three. Really? And, and, and the, the label we were on just happened to have some kid called Michael Jackson. So they were making a lot of money. And they were, they were kind of like, Who, who's this fucking weird shit we've got from England? Who signs? And they didn't give a fuck. You know, uh-huh. for, for years, we were on a few indies and college radio. And, you know, we were having massive top 10 hits all over Europe. We could not get arrested in the States. No. It was so frustrating. I bet. And then that best stuff comes out, and it just suddenly it awakens everyone at the same moment. Something, another super nerdy question. The cover of the two of you, are you actually standing that next to each other, or are those two separate pictures Put together in like a collage. Does that make sense? Because of the black background, it could just On be the two best, things. Super yeah, I, I think it was collaged. Okay. All right. Now, one more song. First of all, as I was mentioning, the great songs that have come in this the last fifteen years or whatever, English Electric is such a great. All of them are. One of my favorite songs is the right side, because oh, yeah. again, it's like eight minutes of just this groove that I don't want to end.
And it kind of, to me, sticks out. It's an anomaly, I feel like, mm-hmm. not just on that album, but for OMD songs in general. Tell me about the right side. Okay. And when a song you, is eight minutes long, are you thinking, yeah. let's just let this go because the groove is so good? You yeah, know? basically. I, I was just groove. Um, I stole it. It's made of a sample called Looking Down on London. Really? Um, yeah. And I, I just, I, I loved, I, oh, I, oh, no. I can't remember the name of the band. Oh, I'll look no, it up. Can I not? Yeah, looking down on London, we sampled it. They were brilliant. Look them up now and then put me out my I'm misery. I'm going to. Go. Um, whilst I tell you about it. So I, I, I sampled a piece of the sequencer, the sequencer and, 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 the, and the, the, the filtering on the sequencer was sampled from this album, looking down on London. This Computer? On. Yes, that's right. They were Computer called Computer with a K. Yeah. 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 And, um, and, um, yeah, it was it was kind of very much kind of like a couple of English guys kind of making Kraftwerk songs because Kraftwerk weren't making songs. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I, I loved them, and I, I sampled this "Looking Down on London" by Computer. Thank you for putting me out of my misery, though. That was horrible. Uh-huh. Sure. Um, and and I just I just put some drums on it and a melody, yeah. and I just started grooving. I just I just yeah. it was hypnotic. I just I didn't yes. want it to stop. I no. thought, well, okay, I'll break it down and I'll filter it, and then I'll put this, and then I'll bring it back, and then we'll no. just go. I just I, I didn't want. I was having so much fun. Yeah, yes, exactly what you said. Yeah. I was just grooving on the groove, and I, I love robbed it. it from somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> the top line, all the words and everything were mine. But yeah. of course, of course, that's great. Well, look, I know I only have you for a half hour, Andy, but I couldn't love you more. I um, I never got to see you. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and you guys came through once or twice, but I never uh-huh. got to see you. But I see you every – I live in Denver now, and I see you okay. every time you come through, whether it's with Howard Jones or by yourself. And oh, you I make promise you so we will happy. be back. Thank you. Well, we will, we haven't announced our American dates yet. We I know will this. be coming over in the fall next year. Good. Um, it's been – Trying to get Paul to mix the album has been like pulling hen's teeth out. It's huh. just been like really difficult. Um, he 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 kind of he's got other things in his life. He became a father again. I was going to say he just recently became a dad. Uh, right? and, you know, and, and I'm not criticizing him. You know, if if I had a nice house in France and I was recently married and I had a new baby, <laughs> I'd want to stay there too. Um, but I'm 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 a Type A person, and I just wanted to make a record, so I had to beat the shit out of him to mix it because he's he he mixes i'm i can't mix i can't mix uh, my way over a wet paper bag he can wow. so um we did all that now we've got all the promote then we got the tour and so we we, we toured all through the summer with festivals so we're going to take the summer off next year and have a break uh-huh. good and then we'll come to america in the fall full of good. energy and we will good. see you in denver oh you make me so happy i love you a lot andy thank you for well, chatting you. with Listen, me I love the questions. Brilliant interview. Uh, Thank I've you. I've done a lot of interviews today, and this has by mile been my favorite. Don't tell Ooh. any of the other journalists. But well, even just, if you're lying, good, that no, means a good, lot to me. They're just good <laughs> questions. You asked me to think about something that I hadn't said five times already today. Good. So I'm you. glad. And okay. I, I don't know. I tried to focus on the new stuff because Paul was here last year, and we answered all that old stuff. I wanted to focus on some of your new songs. Thank you, Andy. You're the best. All right. Bye, bye John. See all right. You next have year. a good one. All right, there you have it. 
Andy McCluskey. Isn't he just the best? I love him. So gang, go check out the Feelies if you've never listened to them. And then go check out the new OMD album, Bauhaus Staircase, because it's fantastic. Now, I wasn't quite sure what to close it out with here, but maybe my personal favorite of the newer OMD albums is English Electric, which came out a few years ago. And this is Night Cafe off of that album. I love it. I love everything they do, but these this winning streak they're on right now is just amazing. So anyway, check it out, and then just listen to everything OMD has done, but especially these last four albums, because they're a lot of fun. And uh, I'm excited to see them when they come back around here. They're touring in uh, the UK very soon, and then, he, as he mentioned, next fall they should be back in the US. Next week, again, I am not entirely sure what we're going to do. Um, I have a bunch of them in the can. I mentioned before, many of them are time sensitive. Some of them are shorter, some are not. So I might put some more together like this. I might uh, leave them alone and put them out individually. I haven't decided yet. So I will tell you that next, one of the, for sure, one of the guests next week, if not the only guest, it's going to be actually maybe our most modern or recent or current uh, artist. They are one of the most successful songwriters and producers that is working today. Their career goes back almost 20 years, 17 years, something like that. And a lot's changed. A lot has changed since this person first hit the, the scene. Uh, so it's a, quite a conversation. That's what's coming up next week, and it might be more. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man, for everything. Thank you, buddy. Folks, you can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter or X or whatever, at The Hustle Pod. Um, we have a promo mode in the can. Yan and I recorded a recap that should be coming out eventually. By the way, when I did the recap, my microphone wasn't working very well, so it's I sound distant but i so i apologize for that but you'll get over it uh anyway we love you thanks all everybody for the support <laughs>